Hello again, I am Jen Dawson, Petra's Associate Director of Educational Programs. And if you just listened to the audio recordings of the poster presentation interviews I conducted while at the ISID meeting in Tokyo, Japan, I referenced on-camera interviews I had done with various meeting attendees. Here is the audio version of those on-camera videos. If you'd like to watch the videos, you can hop on over to our website at www.pedraresearch.org forward slash education. Hi, I'm Peter's Associate Director of Educational Programs, Jen Dawson, and with me is our Executive Director, Mike Siegel. We are at the first International Societies for Investigative Dermatology meeting in Tokyo, Japan, and oh my gosh, there is a lot happening here. Mike, what are your highlights so far? We're on day one. Yeah, day one of the meeting. This has been a whirlwind already getting to Tokyo, but really worth the trip. Amazing to see so much energy around investigative dermatology. So grateful to the organizers for putting on such a tremendous meeting and also grateful for the opportunity for Pedra to actually be here exhibiting. And as Jen will be sharing with all of you in the next four days, trying to connect our audience of Pedra members and community uh, folks with the activities here in Tokyo. Absolutely. There's a lot of great science being shared at this meeting, and we are going to bring it to you as best we can. So make sure you follow us on our social channels on Twitter and Instagram at Pedra Research. We'll be reporting there. And also keep an eye on our website for a wrap up after the meeting. Thanks, Mike. I'll catch up with you later in the day. Thank you, Jen. We're off to our first sessions right now. Hi, I'm back reporting from the International Societies of Investigative Dermatology, and I am so thankful to be joined by Dr. Emma Gutman-Yaski. She's a Waldman Professor of Dermatology and Immunology and the Health System Chair at the Department of Dermatology at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. And she is she just finished chairing the International Eczema Council Symposium. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Could you just give us, it was a big session, it was well attended, but could you just kind of highlight some key takeaways for us? Sure. So the session was centered on the biomarkers and how they help us understand the topic dermatitis, how they help therapeutic development in the topic dermatitis, um, and how they help in a phenotype atopic dermatitis in, in children and adults. Um, it was a very well attended session um, and I think it just shows that atopic dermatitis is really at the center of attention now with so many new drugs coming into play both in adults but luckily also in children. Um, and in, in, I myself spoke about uh, how biomarkers really uh, help in the therapeutic development and in, in not only in adults, but now also in children, particularly uh, having tape strips and uh, now um, uh, moving us um, um, to sample the skin in a minimally invasive fashion. And I think that's so important in the pediatric population. Oh, I completely agree. I know there's been a massive surge in the amount of work being done in the atopic dermatitis space. Why do you think that is? Why has have we seen it come on so strongly in the last few years? So I think, you know, it's always like that. When you have one successful treatment, many follow. Mm -hmm. 
And I think uh, the film really opened the door to all the therapeutic development we now have. Because before the film, we had only immune suppressants. Mm -hmm. And I think what pushed the development also was the increased understanding of the disease and the pathways and the molecules that are involved. And um, many of these molecules are now translated into treatment. So super exciting. It's a great time to be in the AD space. And your research and your work is, is making a big difference in, as you said, adults, but also in children. So thank you so much, Dr. Gutmanyowski. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you. Lovely talking to you too. Exciting development. Exactly. Hi, I am back reporting still on day one. I had the best opportunity today to attend the International Pachyonychia Congenita Consortium Symposium with the lovely Janice Schwartz, Executive Director of PC Project and a devout uh, partner of PEDRA. We are just, we love our relationship with PC Project. And you had a packed house this morning. Yes, it was so, so exciting. Tell us all about it. Well, I think we had a packed house for one. I think there's so much energy going around right now in our PC research space, but we actually had a ton of great speakers there. I mean, really the lineup did. was fabulous. So I think the, the topics and the, and the speakers themselves, the caliber of the researchers really attracted a good audience. So we just loved it. We had more people pre-register for our meeting than we've ever had before. Oh. And then of course we had walk-ins too. It was tons. Yeah, it was a little bit tricky, but all, you know, you saw how many tables we set up. We it set was it up. standing room only yeah. at one point. But those were for the people that we had registered yeah and so the fact that more people came that was exciting that's exciting to me that packing congenita is is getting some recognition one neat thing jen is because we had our meeting at the first before the big ISID meeting. It was great because we were first on the program. So even if people aren't interested in going into our meeting or maybe they had some other conflict, they have to get on that little app and see, and the first thing they see- First was, thing that came up was yeah, your, your symposium. We, we, want, we want that narrative to change that, well, the narrative that nobody knows about packing congenita or PC. We want, we want it beyond, the, the, the radar. And I think, you know, I think today was a real illustration of you achieving that. And there were some really fantastic talks uh, that happened in there today. And one I distinctly remember is all of the um, genetic work that's happening in the EB space. Right. And how it really looks like researchers are poised to transition that over to PC. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, no, probably not that much. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a researcher, but my, my secret power is I align myself with really great researchers. Yes, you do. And so as far as that goes, what we're hoping is that the, the work that's being done in the EV space and some of the other spaces will translate over into PC. And that's why we specifically invited those particular speakers, because there's a lot of research, great research going on in a lot of spaces, including EV. But we particularly chose those speakers because we thought, and when I say we, I'm talking my research team, my medical mm -hmm. and scientific advisory board and our and our steering committee and our research Which is team. headed up by Dr. Eli Sprecher, right? Yeah, Ellie yes. Sprecher. Ellie Sprecher. Yeah. Yep. And then Pierre Cologne. Yes. He is he heads our research team. So we have a steering committee and Ellie so Ellie's kind of the big boss. <laughs> and then within that steering committee we have leads of other committees. Right. And so Pierre is the lead of our of our um, research team mm -hmm. and then we have for example professor Adele O'Toole she's in charge of our membership team Robin Dickerson our communications team 
Oh, and of course, we have our registry. And that was really great today because we had some really new people, new to PC, so we had invited them to come because they're doing neat research that we think can translate. But it was really great to be able to share with them the PC Project has this fabulous registry. We get free genetic testing. Mm -hmm. And so we are poised for clinical trials yes, because are. the research can come up but we know who our patients are, we know where our patients are, and we've got this fabulous, strong community of patients, and, and a lot of them are Petra patients. They are, yeah. yes, exactly. And PC Project does such a wonderful job of um, really knowing their patients, and as you said, like supporting them with free genetic testing. Um, the work you're doing, Jen, is just amazing. Thank you so much for allowing me to interview you today, and I hope the rest of the meeting is as fruitful as your symposium was this morning. Thank you, and can I just say too, we love Pedra. You know, so many of our patients are, are patients that grow up without, without a diagnosis, and so we think if we can catch them soon, and, and it's our correlation, or excuse me, our collaboration, I guess, with Pedra, we're correlated to, I guess, <laughs> that makes us really, you know, that, that gets it so that these young kids with this severe disease don't have to grow up without an answer. And so the, the physicians, the scientists that are aligned with Pedra, we love them. They are, they, they are some of them were in our meeting today. Yeah. So we, it's a mutual fanship. Well, we love each other. So. We really do. And we so appreciate working with you and your team too. Thank you, Jen. Hey everybody, I'm back. It's day two at SID and it's been a jam-packed day already. We're about halfway through. I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Nicole Ward. She is the Vice Chair of Research of the Research Department in Dermatology and Professor of Dermatology and Professor of Pathology, Microbiology and Immunology at Vanderbilt University. And she just chaired a panel, uh, the UCB panel on uh, Hydratinitis Superativa. It was a great panel, chock full of lots of information, and some key highlights were HS is much more complicated than psoriasis, and we need more translational work done to make a difference. So, Dr. Ward, yeah. why don't you give us your highlights? What were the big takeaways of this talk? Okay, so you already sort of said the two major ones, that it's very complicated. Um, we still don't have a really good understanding of even the genetics of the disease. Um, it seems like there's sort of two pathways of pathogenicity. Uh, one of them is probably more cytokine-driven because there's some success using anti-cytokine therapies like TNF-alpha antibodies, 17A inhibition. But what's remarkable too is that the IL-23 inhibitors aren't working, right? but the IL-17 inhibitors do. So this is really interesting, interesting and suggests that different cell types are involved in HS than in psoriasis, mm -hmm. although they all converge on this IL-17 pathway. One of the things Jim Kruger said repeatedly is that this is a very different disease mm -hmm. and we don't understand it. And there's great heterogeneity. Yes. Um, so we saw that even in different geographic regions of the world, mm -hmm. it affects people differently. Mm -hmm. So I think in North America, it affects women more than men. Right. But in Asia, it yeah. actually affects men more than women. Yeah. And we saw a case study today presented of a 13-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. And her primary complaint was pain and appearance. Mm -hmm. These are 
big issues right for young girls right young well, people the disease has such a, a tremendous psychosocial impact which like many dermatological diseases right we're yeah. we're treating the disease itself and then also the mental health of the children that these diseases are affecting which makes it even more difficult so with this disease being such a challenge what does that mean for research and what are we like what are our next big steps here oh my god okay so tons of work to be done i mean if we think about most of the work that's been done in hs has been done in adults mm -hmm. right little it's hard to do research on yep. on 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 children and children aren't young adults right um as dr sarah finally always says these right. are not just little people they're not tiny they're humans. not tiny they're not tiny adults they're not right. tiny grown-ups they're children so that is one area that i think we need to work on there are still need for translational studies we need more clinical trials we need more standardized outcome measures uh where at what line are we going to say a drug works versus it doesn't work 50 percent improvement 75 percent improvement what if we find a drug that works? Can we identify ways to sustain the, the disease remission? Is there a potential right. cure? I mean, That's if you the big question, yeah, and if you think about atopic dermatitis, psoriasis, and HS, you know, we've spent decades studying psoriasis and have a really good understanding of it. We're becoming way more knowledgeable about atopic dermatitis and biologics, and now HS is coming right behind. And so I think it's just a matter of time. Um, but yeah, we need more research about um, pathogenic mechanisms of disease. We need more translational studies done looking at um, targeted drug efficacy treatment strategies. And then, of course, we need to really understand the how HS is different in adults versus children. Absolutely. Now, all of that said, you are in the lab. You are a researcher. Yeah. So how can our clinician investigators oh. help this research and help get it going? Yep. So as a non-MD who does derm research and does translational dermatology research, I can't do what I do without having a clinical collaborator. Mm. So I look to my clinical collaborators for their clinical expertise. They are the ones that see the patients. They are the ones that know the nuances of the disease. They know the primary patient complaint. They know the primary parent concerns. And what I need is for them to talk about what they see with me uh, and come up with ideas that we can bring back to the lab and we can test. So we can do it in you know, individual cells. We can take the pus from a draining uh, lesion and we can study that in the research lab and try and figure out why things happen the way they do. And then I need my clinical colleagues because I go back to them with my findings mm -hmm. and they really bring it back to the patient. So it's really this circular effort. Yeah. One can't do anything without nope. the other. And, and so it's, it's a team thing. Absolutely. And it's fun. Yeah. And the bottom line is improved patient care. Well, absolutely. And you get those little mini breakthroughs. I mean, this is happening all the time. I've talked to Dr. John Harris about those breakthroughs oh, yeah. he has in his vitiligo lab, oh, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's what really helps fuel our clinicians too. like seeing those mini breakthroughs coming out of the lab, but then also being able to yeah. put those breakthroughs back into the lab yeah. from the clinic side. And one of the things that's exciting about this meeting that we're at right now is that you've got the global population of the best skin scientists in the world all together. All together. And our ideas are bouncing off of each other and we're building new collaborations and we're talking about interesting data that we haven't yet published. Yes. And there's this energy that you can 
feel in in the conference center. Yeah, um, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. Everybody's getting a chance to. It's like one big think tank, and it everybody's is. just bouncing off ideas, yeah. and there's so much energy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, You're Dr. Ward, oh for gosh, joining me. Um, be sure that you keep an eye on conference announcements about Pedro because Dr. Ward will be joining us as I'm a speaker. Coming. We can't wait to have her. We appreciate all the work you're doing and all the support you give our clinicians. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great rest of your meeting. Thank you. You too. <laughs> hey, everyone. We're back, still on day two. We are just a couple of hours away from the poster session, and I am joined by the lovely Dr. Roni Francois. He's a PEDRA member, but you probably know him from his work at UCSF. Just a quick voiceover here to reintroduce Dr. Roni Francois with his correct title. He is a clinical instructor and a second year DermPath Fellow. So give us your highlights of the meeting so far. What have you learned? What have you enjoyed? Yes. Um, I liked the IL-31 um, pathway um, talks. Um, so obviously we have a new inhibitor that's not quite FDA approved, but seems very promising for paroditic disorders such as paragonodularis, and sounds like there's some investigation into other paroditic disorders like atopic dermatitis. So that's one area um, um, that, I'm, that I'm following. Um, but a lot of the inflammatory um, research has been very exciting um, yeah. with using, utilizing different tools such as RNA-seq and spatial transcriptomics. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about that in this meeting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and exciting. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're going to be giving a talk, so give us a little preview. Uh, yes, so I'll be giving a talk. Um, my research focuses on NRAS mutant melanoma. Mm -hmm. So I'll be discussing how targeting shock 2 in NRAS mutant melanoma cells is a promising um, therapeutic strategy. So Excellent. <laughs> yes. And go ahead and tell everybody when your talk is going to be. My talk is um, on Saturday. So it is uh, the concurrent mini symposium 17. And I'm the second to last talk, um, which is about 20 minutes before the closing ceremony. So all right. Well, everybody better stick, stick around, around for this guy. I promise it'll be yeah. worth it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Francois. Enjoy the rest of the meeting. Will do. Thanks, Jen. Thanks. I am here with the outgoing president of the Society for Investigative Dermatology and the Carolyn Walsh Slayman Professor of Genetics at Yale University, Valentina Greco. Excuse me, Dr. Valentina Greco. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I've been in sessions yesterday and today. It's been a really energizing meeting. And um, I just wanted to ask you, what is why now for an international coming together? What was the impetus for bringing all of us here? Absolutely. So first of all, there has been a long tradition of coming together internationally uh, between uh, the American SID, the Japanese, and the European one. Um, and it goes far into several decades. But what they have realized over time is that there is a better model, first of all, to become global. So Taiwanese uh, society, Australasians, Korean, um, can now come and join in being a footprint that is much larger. Um, and additionally, the previous model wasn't as supportive as it could be for all society once when the international conference was happening. There's a new model that not only supports all societies as they come together, mm. but creates also continuity within each society oh, with the capacity right. to sustain themselves oh. through this partnership. This is wonderful. And it is so great to see all the nationalities represented, oh. all the different groups here. And like I said earlier, the energy has just been really amazing. I, I see a lot of collaborations uh, happening. So give me your highlights of what you've experienced with the meeting so far. 
first of all, it's a thrill to be in Japan and oh. in Tokyo <laughs> and the opening ceremony where we oh, heard the drum was just yes. that you could feel in your body and I think yeah. it was mirroring the excitement that you're I describing. Agree. Um, second, um, as you may know, each society has also their board meetings and as well as capacity to tailor not only to their own society but also across society. Mm. So being here all together mm. is not only reinforcing the collaborations and the acquaintances that we can do within each one but also bridging beyond. And so. Um, for me, it's been thrilling to go through the hallways for the posters, so talks and talks that are often representing like the special guest lectures mm -hmm. across all the different countries. Um, so it's been just wonderful. It really has. Um, and what's next for you? I know you're the outgoing president of SID. Any plans to head up another organization or what's next? I've had often in my career a couple of homes. So the other one is the stem cell research. So oh. I'm actually the incoming president there. Oh, fantastic. So I've been uh, um, yeah, driving efforts in parallel in that uh, society. There is an organization about the annual conference that actually is a preview of the president. So I'm already knee deep into that. Yes, you are. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we so appreciate the amazing work you did in your time as president with thank the SID. You. Pedra is grateful to have this partnership. And thank you so much for yeah, stopping by and visiting with me today. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. I'm back. We're just nearing the end of day two. We're about to head to the poster session, but I am lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Victoria Worth. She's professor of dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for stopping by to say hello, Dr. Worth. Yes, it's great to be here. It is. You know, this whole meeting has been full of energy. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of research collaboration happening. I wondered, how are your feelings about the meeting so far? Very much enjoying it. We started out actually with a satellite meeting of the uh, of the uh, international ICCLE, which is an international lupus and dermato group, and we uh, then that has led into the ISID, which has been really wonderful. I love the um, the focus on uh, trying to do some translational research, trying to understand more about disease and some of the improvements that we're learning in terms of potential therapeutics. So I think that this has been. Um, is a really interesting time, and I think the ISID is embracing uh, an approach to improving care for our patients. I couldn't agree more. It seems very driven toward patient care, and there were so many great talks I attended this morning, some genetic talks on EB, uh, some more talks on HS. Um, has there been a talk that has stood out for you thus, thus far? Well, I've enjoyed the um, the innate immunity talks. Uh, we had a nice session this morning on dermatomyositis where we were hearing about antibodies that might be associated with uh, getting cancer but also not getting cancer in dermatomyositis. And we also talked about the role of interferon beta in dermato. So there's really been a nice focus that way and I've enjoyed those talks. I've enjoyed the plenary sessions. Um, so it's been a really exciting meeting so far and we're about to have our poster session. Yay! So offline we were talking, you said you've been able to bump into a few of your past students. I wondered how is it going? Is it a bit of a reunion here for you? Absolutely. I have a number of postdocs uh, who've been from either South Korea or from Japan. We've been able to uh, really meet up and talk and compare notes and see how well they're doing. Um, also students who've now become residents in the States and it's been really great to catch up with them and uh, learn more about where things are going for them. So it's been a really great meeting. That's wonderful. Thank you again for stopping by. I will let you get to the poster session. We have a whole bunch more great science ahead of us. Great. Thank Enjoy you the so rest much. of your meeting. Thanks. Thank you.
Hi, everybody. I'm Jen Doss, and I'm behind the camera today as I'm a bit under the weather, but I'm so thankful that Dr. Amy Powler has joined me for her take on the meeting so far. If you don't know, Dr. Powler is the chair of the Department of Dermatology and the Walter J. Hamlin Professor of Dermatology at Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine. She is also one of the founding members of PEDRA. Uh, it's great to see you here, Dr. Powler. Um, go ahead. Like, there's a lot to digest, a lot to talk about. So you can give us like your top highlights and then feel free to go oh, into any detail. There's so much to talk about at this meeting here in Japan. Uh, it's been so great to see international colleagues that we haven't seen for years here in, in Tokyo. And of course, there's a lot of very exciting science. I don't even know where to get started in terms of pediatric dermatology. I think I'm going to talk a little bit about mosaicism. That sounds great. There were two presentations that I thought were quite interesting to pediatric dermatologists. Um, one of them is given by Howard Chang from Stanford. And of course, Howard is brilliant and is always working on something that is so illuminating. And his talk today was uh, not an abstract presentation, but, but an invited talk about some of his recent work with the X chromosome and particularly a gene called um, exist or cyst, depending on how you might pronounce it. It's spelled X-I-S-T. And we've known about um, exist for a long time, that it is what on the X chromosome dictates that that chromosome will be silent. Hmm. And his group has gone on to study that a bit more and to ask some very important questions about it that I think most pediatric dermatologists may not realize. So I, I got a little bit of notes here. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm going to look at them every Please so Please share, often. yes. Okay, great. So really exciting work. We, we've known that this gene exists is uh, critical for X chromosome inactivation. Um, and again, that there's one copy per cell that um, is very involved in females in turning off hmm. and allowing the other um, gene, the other chromosomes, uh, X chromosome, mm -hmm. to be the dominant one. So um, it, the, it's essentially an epigenetic regulation, as he called it. There's epigenetic memory hmm. because what happens very early on, and if I recall, 12 to 16 days gestational age oh my in females, wow. your decision is made forever mm -hmm. in each, for example, stripe of Blaschko's lines for epidermis, and certainly this occurs in every cell. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we really need to, to recognize that these kinds of patternings are decided early on. So epigenetic memory, mm -hmm. and um, it lasts for a lifetime. Uh, and we essentially have shut down in the reading uh, and translation of, of genes in that particular chromosome. Hmm. So um, he's been able to show how um, the active exist just basically condenses the uh, one group of, of chromosomes into basically a bar body for that um, X chromosome in those particular cells. But he asked a bunch of interesting questions, and here's where it gets kind of cool. So he first asked, what are the protein partners of EXIST? Because when you identify protein partners, you can start to ask, what are the interfaces? What are the interactions? How is EXIST working? 
And they identified 81 protein binding partners, uh, direct wow. or indirect. Um, and he also noted that this particular gene is a very large gene that has a lot of repeats. And there's one particular repeat called an A repeat that's at the five prime end that's really been important for gene silencing. Uh, and looked at proteins that were near that region that seemed to be unique and found one called SPEN, S-P-E-N, which seems to now be the key silencing factor wow. based on his work. Highly conserved, it's in fruit flies, lots and lots of very primitive uh, organisms. So, so we're talking about something that's essential and has been there a long time. Now, what he looked at was what does it look like in that particular configuration in that uh, five prime end repeats. And he found actually that it very much resembles repeats that are seen in retroviruses. Uh, and ultimately decided that, that what's happening here is viral mimicry. And so it's not just that we're talking about a role in turning off a chromosome, but this gene has an element in it that basically helps to protect against wow. viruses by dialing down, making it kind of quiet and not being producing, uh, not translating, not making proteins um, when, when there is something around that uh, seems to be like a virus. Next question is, is it just something that gets turned off early on and stays? How does it stay? Mm. Why is it that particularly cells that have a lot of turnover, a B cell, a myeloid cell, forever has that one X chromosome turned off. Hmm. Uh, it must be very important there. And it turns out there are mechanisms that just keep it persistent and still to be dis discovered, mm -hmm. but it, it's not just a one fine thing. It's a persistent, active, turn off, active, this exist gene. Hmm. Now, the other thing in looking at all of these protein partners and all, he found out that 22 of the top 45 are proteins that are targeted for autoimmune diseases. Example, Rho, La. We are familiar with these from, from lupus, for example, mm -hmm. and Sjogren's syndrome. These various autoimmune diseases, as we all know, are much more common in females mm. than they are in males. So he then asked the question, could somehow this ribonuclear protein complex that includes exist be a trigger of autoimmunity. Hmm. Um, lots of repeats, long gene, could be prone to polymer cross-linking proteins that could activate B cells. Um, and in fact, make naive B cells become atypical cells, like what you see in lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, in COVID-19, which we know mm -hmm. is a disease where there was a lot of interferon activity. So he created mice um, in which he basically took male mice and introduced the exist gene. Now you can't just do that, right? Mm -hmm. He did it in such a way that he could control it by making okay. it inducible. It was inducible with doxycycline. He gave doxycycline, he could induce it. So he'd have female mice as a positive control. He'd have a bunch of negative controls. And then he'd have these male mice in which he can control the activation of that extra exist. Wow. And he did it on, on a different chromosome, not okay. the X chromosome. Okay. Right. So, um, and, and what he found is that in these male mice, they created bar bodies with this introduced exist. And he also then found that when he 
took a technique that's been used to cause lupus, which is um, um, giving them some crist something called pristane, that, of course, the females had a high propensity to develop lupus, including lupus for organs. The negative controls, not so much. These males, though, with the exist, when induced, were very similar to what was seen with females. So some real evidence of increased autoimmune antibody, increased organ involvement, like renal disease, like is seen in lupus, just from introducing into the males this existing. And that suggests then that um, there might be some role for this existing um, as uh, in autoimmune disease and, and causing it. Um, and, and of course, mechanistic studies have shown an increase in toll-like receptors in terms of the pathophysiology of these diseases turning on, you know, kind of viral activation type pathways. And um, so there might be a similar type of mechanism. And finally, he went to patients and mm. took patients with autoimmune disease, looked at their sera, and uh, found um, a whole bunch of patterns that involve these types of, of genes that uh, overlap or um, are distinct for particular subsets, but nevertheless um, seems to be some early evidence that this might be true in humans as well. So I think that was fascinating. Yeah. It was very new to me that the, um, as someone who's very interested in mosaic disease and has long been interested in the mosaicism that we females have mm -hmm. in terms of why we have uh, this exist gene and why we have one active, one inactive that's forever. And so I think this is just the tip of the iceberg in this brilliant scientist telling us about that. I want to mention one other. I know I've been rambling for a while. No, that's all right. Um, of course, Veronica Kinsler is always someone who adds to our knowledge base in pediatric dermatology. She's here at the meeting, and I was absolutely fascinated by some work that she has just started, um, where she's been thinking about the GNAC and the GNA11 mutations that occur let's say, in Sturge-Weber syndrome. Mm. And also the fact that, you know, that's, there's an alteration in MEK pathway signaling, but MEK inhibitors haven't really um, knocked our socks off for these diseases like Sturge-Weber with the capillary malformations, um, or frankly, other cells that they might be in. Um, so she thought about it and thought about the tram track calcifications that we see in the brain in Sturge-Weber syndrome, which is one of the hallmarks that goes on with um, that particular disease, and wondered whether there might be some abnormality in calcium signaling in these diseases that might be a primary defect that could be targetable. So what she did, created some endothelial cells. She mutated them by using the uh, GNAC uh, R183Q, um, the hotspot mutation that's been described with patients. And she also had other cells that she introduced mutations in both GNAP and GMA11. Um, and what she found is that through the introduction of these mutations, there's an increase in uh, calcium, intracalcium, excuse me, intracellular calcium signaling. Um, and also more prolonged intracellular calcium signaling. And this is through certain channels that are known to be involved in calcium signaling called crack channels. Um, she said, well, what happens if we just take calcium out of the medium and then compare them to my control cells that have been 
mock, um, altered, or um, unaltered. And once you take calcium out, I assume by EDTA, um, it, they were the same. So this alteration is only seen when there's added calcium hmm. to the medium. She then thought about, well, is this relevant to patients? Um, and she went to the literature and found that there is evidence that there is reduced ionized calcium in a fair number. She cited 41% of patients, and especially those with intracranial calcification, especially an association of this reduction in serum ionized calcium uh, associated with seizures, again, suggesting that there may be some um, tracking of calcium intracellularly hmm. into organs like the brain. Uh, and so she thought, well, gosh, maybe there's something to this um, and took crack channel inhibitors. Now, these are not used in dermatology, but crack channel inhibitors are used in oncology. Mm. And she was able to treat these mutant endothelial cells with the crack channel inhibitors, and it corrected it. Oh. So wow. she is planning a study with patients, um, presumably with Sturge Weber, with some of these crack channel inhibitors, and stay tuned. But I thought that that was also um, another mosaic disorder with some wonderful pearls from Veronica Kinsler from London. So wow. maybe I'll stop with that. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Poller, for those highlights. It sounds like uh, those talks were really incredible and really transformative. It sounds like they're really I think there's some pretty exciting breakthroughs, breakthroughs here. here. Uh, and we're not even halfway through the meeting. Right. So a lot's more to come. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Poller. Great to talk with you, Jen. Hello again, everybody. I'm back behind the cameras. I'm feeling a little under the weather, but I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Reed Oldenburg. He is an assistant professor of dermatology at UCSD, and he's also serving on PEDRA's early investigator committee. And you've been, I've been bumping into you throughout the meeting. You've been having a great time. So what are your highlights? What are your big takeaways? Right. I mean, it's it's been a really fun meeting so far. I, I'm certainly finding myself running from room to room, like trying to keep up with all this stuff. I mean, the list is just loaded with excellent speakers. Everything's been very inspiring, but I think I can highlight a couple of talks. I mean, one of them definitely was um, Chris Nagao from the NIH, uh, just a fantastic talk where he really showcased essentially, um, I think decades, a decade to 15 years of research going through identifying different cell types in the skin. Um, and then it got a little bit more high level. And, and I think for me, what really uh, resonated with me was the study that they had done looking at using single cell RNA sequencing from a, a dress patient that was very difficult to treat. Mm. And by looking at the different profile of the cells, both in the skin and the blood in a patient that had failed multi, um, multiple different immunosuppressive therapies, um, they identified a, a signature that was um, with Jack's stat elevation. And then they ended up actually treating that patient with, with Jack inhibitors. And a lot of that really inspired me to, to focus my research on, on identifying inflammatory pathways that are dysregulated. So that was really cool to see him um, showcase that. And then he has since, and I think this is sometimes the advantage of having close collaboration with clinicians and having a big network. Um, and he, so he has since um, expanded his research to include um, investigating Dagos disease and using similar platforms to look at Dagos disease, which um, you know, what we always learned about was, was related to um, potentially a vasculopathy or a vasculitis um, picture, but it turns out it's, it's once again um, related to an inflammatory dysregulation where the, where the T cells are acting up, um, specifically CD8 T cells. And um, 
the way he spoke about it was really was really inspiring because uh, he and I think because he's an expert clinician as well. He started with the histopathology, so it felt very much like residency, um, looking actually at the tissue and um, very astutely identified that there was an interface reaction pattern. So there's a lot of lymphocytes, and then actually taking that into the single cell um, into the single cell matrix and looking at what those cells were, finding the signature, and then bringing it back and confirming it using um, immunohistochemistry. So so that was really great for me because as an as a aspiring uh, physician scientist, that's ultimately what we want to do. We want to take things from the high level of, of how, what, what is, you know, happening to the patient and try and understand it better with the idea of, of um, you know, improving treatment options. And, and I think that's, you know, really what, what this is all about is, is trying to use the best that science can offer to, to improve treatment down the line. And that really comes through when you're talking, you know, just in the times that we've had a minute to chat, you've that your passion for what you're doing in your work has really come through and I can see how it's aligning so perfectly with this meeting for you. What else have you got? Um, I mean, I think, so I think the excitement right now is, is using these, these technologies and now we have a lot more targeted therapies available. So I think, you know, that's, that's one, one of the themes that I've seen is, is seeing a lot of single cell RNA sequencing. And I think the spatial platforms are gonna be really cool where you can actually see what's happening on the tissue level. But one other specific uh, talk uh, that I really liked was focused on um, Tregs and, and using um, essentially um, T regulatory cells that target specific antigens. And there was a talk by Miho Mukai, and she focused on um, taking Tregs that were specific um, against the desmoglein the desmoglein three um, autoreactive T cells, putting those Tregs into mice and showing that those Tregs can actually dampen down. Um, uh, the inflammation and the blister formation in those mice. So that is really, I think, an exciting segue into what the next 10 years, I think, will hold because now that we're identifying specific clones and specific um, cells that are responsible for disease, ideally we can maybe avoid broad immunosuppression and maybe in, in the next 10, 15 years we can have approaches that can actually target specific uh, cells that are autoreactive and stop them um, and, and, and in a very precise way uh, cure disease for more of a long-term thing. So that's, that's I think, another thing that I was really excited because it was a little bit of hint, a little bit of feel of like what's down the line. And right. so I think that was another another talk that, that really, uh, for me, was inspiring. I mean, among the dozens that I've heard. <laughs> yeah. I really so, love that you are getting so much out of this meeting that you're able to really think big picture and think about the next 10 to 15 years and where the research might be going and the, what those implications are for patients. I think that's exactly what this meeting is about, right? It's about absolutely. breakthroughs in science. And, you know, these are some of the greatest scientific minds in dermatology and immunology and that we have. So, I mean, it's mm -hmm. pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's great to, to talk to people. I think another thing that's really good about this meeting is you can see what other techniques people are using mm -hmm. and you can, it's almost like cross-training where you're learning from different um, experts and you can take those applications and use it in your own field. So I think that's, that's another thing that's really irreplaceable. And then of course, meeting people face-to-face, -face, a lot of us have been stuck yeah. with you know, not being able to travel as much. So now to, to actually meet people and have spontaneous conversations, it's extremely valuable. I mean, it's definitely an opportunity to network as well. I love what you said there about, um, you know, being able to have sort of this cross training, because this is, of course, an international meeting, and we're seeing how other countries and other germ societies right. are doing things. 
And that is just invaluable, right? Like sometimes we're bogged down in our own country's red tape, our own country's FDA, blah, blah, blah. But right now the doors are wide open and we get to see how these other countries are maneuvering through their own red tape and getting right. their studies done it's really right. cool yeah it's it's amazing how people are able to work together and, yep. and get valuable clinical samples and it's uh it's a lot of work up front but then you benefit from that work um potentially for decades and, and of course it's it helps the patients too so it's definitely it's worth the hard work yes it is thank you so much for joining me dr Olenberg. this was a lovely discussion and i wish you the best as you continue through the meeting yeah thank you Hi again, everybody. This is our last day at ISID. I'm Jen, and I'm back behind the camera again, but I am delighted to be joined by Dr. John Harris. It's always a pleasure seeing him at these meetings. He's the founding director of the Vitiligo Clinic and Research Center, professor and chair in the Department of Dermatology at UMass Chan School of Medicine. Thank you so much for letting me pull you aside again. Yeah, um, I happy just, to be here. Yeah, you are so tremendous and so valuable to Pedra, and we appreciate all you do for Thank us. You. And I would just love to get your take on this international meeting we're having here in Tokyo. Yeah, it's been so much fun to get back. You know, after the pandemic, it, we, we had a, such a lack of interaction and, 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 and ability just socially to get together with friends. But, mm. but then sharing ideas is, is really critical. And um, yeah, we can do that over Zoom. We can do it virtually. We can do it by email. But it's not the same as sitting down with a cup of coffee and um, exchanging ideas in real time, mm -hmm. nothing replaces that. Right. And, and I'm reminded of that, actually. I, I was starting to get lulled into thinking maybe maybe virtual is, is just as good and, mm. and it's not. You know, yeah. So running into people in the halls, exchanging ideas, seeing meeting and, uh, a presentation and being able to follow up immediately. Um, we just learned so much from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, science is social and, and I think mm. it's, it's critical. So the, the, just being social again, being with friends again and, and hearing lectures is, is really important. Um, and then the meeting is so diverse, you know, it's all focused on skin, but we come at the skin with so many different angles um, and, and, and different lenses. And those are all important to really make progress in, in understanding disease. Um, just this morning, Nina Jablonski talked about the uh, human evolution in the context of skin pigment, and it was fascinating. Things I don't think about too much, but, but really can get into when I hear it. Um, immunology, of course, is a big part of the meeting. That's, that's what I really like. But um, had lunch with a friend of mine who studies melanocyte biology. And so we started to share ideas and then, you know, saying, holy cow, I didn't know that. That's amazing. And new collaborations forming. And, and so that's what this is all about. Um, Japan's a long way to come when you're in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. And, and from different parts of the world. But uh, Tokyo is an amazing place. Uh, mm. Such such a powerhouse in science. Um, mm. So it was a great location. Great people here. Great talks. We're almost done. It's kind of a shame. Know. Sad, but it's uh, gone by so quickly. I feel it like did. this yeah. year, and I've really enjoyed the um, the international discussions. I mean, mm -hmm. so many things vary from country to country, right. and so the international societies coming together and sharing their perspectives and their work has been really valuable. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning things that I never anticipated learning. So that's been really exciting. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this morning's uh, vitiligo talk because mm -hmm. Dr. Mehdi Rashigi gave an incredible talk. There were some really cool things that he talked about. For instance, he talked about sort of the history of the research of the disease. And I'm just wondering if you could kind of clue our folks in to some of the big picture items he talked about in that discussion. Yeah, I'm glad he started with that. And I know I, I um... You know, thinking about where we've been is really helpful to understand where we are and where we're going. 
Um, and so he talked a lot about um, initial hypotheses, theories as to what caused vitiligo. And until recently, there were a lot of people who didn't believe it was an autoimmune disease, uh, that it was something completely separate, that it had something to do with innervation of the skin or, or that it had to do with just melanocyte degeneration and that the immune system played a, a bystander role. Um, and all that's really important because that dictates our therapies, right? So if we, if we can block immune action, if we can block immune signaling, that only works if the immune system is causing the disease and not just a bystander. Um, so we talked a lot about where we've been and, and how that it, uh, understanding has evolved and influenced our, our therapies. Um, genetics really supported that as well. So that's, that's an unbiased way to just look at what causes vitiligo and the, and the genetics very heavily implicated the immune system. Um, so that's a big step forward. I think, I think most people now would, would accept that. And, uh, and now we can move and understand you know, how it does that and ways to block it uh, therapeutically. Um, so he did talk about the history, and that's kind of where we've been. Um, and then uh, recognizing different uh, subtypes of the disease and how that evolves and how that affects treatment, um, where the emerging therapies are coming from, where jack, jacks play a central role to signaling um, interferon gamma and other cytokines that drive vitiligo. Um, so jack inhibitors, you know, are a great first step. But I think part of the the, the communication is that there's way more to innovative therapies than jacks mm -hmm. um, they block a lot of things and and so um, goal is is to get more and more specific and more targeted so you still get the efficacy sometimes better efficacy but w with way more safety mm. um, and and there's a lot coming you talked about all the clinical trials that are ongoing now um, and, uh, and and some of the new concepts that are coming um, one person got up at toward the end and asked a question about melanocyte stem cells right a lot mm -hmm. of the talk was focused on immunology because that's where the therapies have been. But that's a big hole um, mm -hmm. because, you know, you can shut off the immune system and the melanocytes start to grow back. But part of a comprehensive therapy would be supporting those melanocytes and those pigment, you know, so that they can come back even faster and, and more complete. Um, and so, you know, we recognized, I think, in that question and answer session, there's still so much more to do. Um, and we need help. And we know mm -hmm. the more people, the better. Um, it's, science is, it's a team science approach. Yeah, I think that session beautifully highlighted the value of being here in person, yeah. because as you said, that Q&A session really just highlighted the, that hole where the stem cells, could, that stem cell research could come in and help. Mm -hmm. um, so you and I spoke at SID in Portland last year, and you were kind enough to give a talk at Pedra's little mini session last year. So I kind of want to talk about what has changed in vitiligo research over the last year. Last year. So... Um... So in the last year, JAK inhibitors were FDA approved. So we got our first FDA approved treatment for vitiligo in the last year. That's pretty exciting. That, is um, huge. that happened July 2022. Um, and shortly after that, I got hundreds of phone calls from my patients asking for the drug. <laughs> so <laughs> we were knee deep in, uh, in prior authorizations. Oh, uh, so okay. clinically, that's a big change. Mm -hmm. um, there have been, there are now ongoing trials to test non JAKs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, other JAKs for sure, but also non JAKs for, mm -hmm. for vitiligo. Um, Understanding, you know, the, the desire to understand vitiligo at a deeper level is strong. So NIH funding is available. Mm. Um, ongoing projects to dig deeper. Um, we've identified two pathways now, uh, interferon gamma signaling to JAKs, and then IL-15 signaling that maintains the disease. Mm. Um, both are being pursued clinically, um, but those are just two pathways. Now there are probably hundreds more, um, and, and we've just scratched the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of research to be done. 
Um, some of our interest now is in more you know, population-based studies. So we've, we've investigated very deeply into cells and, 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 um, and proteins and signaling mechanisms that drive the disease. But what about on a population level? How can we use that information to try to predict who's going to get vitiligo? Mm. Um, so we have an ongoing study now where we're recruiting vitiligo patients and their family members who are at a very much higher risk for getting it. Can we predict who's going to get it? Can we find a way to prevent it? Mm. Um, can we develop not just a treatment but a cure for disease? Mm -hmm. Um, can we support melanocyte stem cells to regrow faster and make our therapies more holistic and, and complete? Um, so um, we, we, we still know very little. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think we, we've made a lot of progress. Yeah. Um, but, but there's still so much more to be done. Well, it sounds like just in a year, Vitiligo's had a good, good year. And had a good year, yeah. That's fantastic. And the whole point is for one question and, and one hypothesis to lead to more yes. and more and more research so that we can get below the surface, as we said earlier. Yeah. So... Thank you so much for being with me, Dr. Harris. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, you too. I will let you go finish the rest of the meeting. <laughs> Safe travels back home, and thank you so much. Thank you, too. Hey, everybody. It's Jen Dawson and Mike Siegel from Pedro. We are wrapping up here. It's day four. This thing has been a sprint through a marathon. It has been so cool. There's been so many amazing talks. Uh, we've highlighted many of them through various interviews that we've brought to you, but I just wanted to get your take, Mike. What have you learned? What were you excited about? Yeah, it's really been an amazing meeting. As you can see, I'm in my casual clothes, still representing Pedro in my 2022, holding up the Rock t-shirt, heading to the airport in a couple hours. It's been a tremendous meeting. I, I can't say enough about the quality of the presentations, the enthusiasm of the attendees, the the, the, the way that the organizers have put together such a large and high quality event, I really can't say enough. And um, I think one of the most impressive things that, that I've kind of taken away is the realization that at least folks in our community studying pediatric dermatology conditions are not alone. Uh, almost every talk I've been to, every session, maybe the word childhood, the word pediatric is not in the title. What they're talking about is relevant to the conditions that are being addressed by folks in the Pedro community. So absolutely, um, it really been great to see that. It has been really terrific to see that. I think there's a lot of value in this meeting for our pediatric dermatologists. And there's so much information that's really applicable to a, a large audience. And we've been having such a good time. I really want to thank SID for being so supportive of Pedra and having us here at the ISID. It's been a really great time. Any other big takeaways, like favorite talk, anything? You know, we actually just got out of what I think was my favorite talk of the meeting. So uh, Insight, one of Pedro's strongest pharmaceutical company partners, uh, sponsored a symposium, uh, kind of walking through the history and the background of vitiligo. I learned mm -hmm. so many things that I didn't know before. There's so much promise in that field to ultimately come out with uh, FDA-approved therapies for patients of all ages to improve their lives. And really, just at the beginning of that, and, and to see that, along with everything else I've learned about all the other diseases and conditions in pediatric dermatology, and so much of the basic science, too, which is going to lead yeah. to so many more things. Uh, yeah, it's hard to pick one, but just because we just got out of that one, I'd say I that know. one. That one was great. I think, though, for me, my favorite session was the Amrit Symposium that was happened a couple of days ago on EB. And there is a lot of promising work happening in EB. I know many of you are aware, but the talk was just so inspiring. 
and I'm just really hopeful with all that is on the horizon and I just can't wait to get it in the hands of our patients. So I thought that was really inspiring. Yeah, well said, Jen. I completely agree. And it's really a great meeting. So I'm sorry that those of you watching this from home couldn't be here. I encourage you to mark your calendars for next year. Uh, the SID meeting will be in Dallas, uh, May 14th to 16th or 13th to 16th around there. Mark your calendars. I really think if you're doing research in the field of, pedi of dermatology in general, mm -hmm. pediatric dermatology or anything, the SID, certainly the ISID, this new format, large scale meeting, uh, is really not a meeting to miss. It's, it's fantastic. Learning so much, meeting the people, and um, really setting your career, I think, on a great trajectory for being here. Oh, I completely agree. And for those of you who this video might reach who aren't pediatric dermatologists, you are welcome to join the Pedra Network. We need you. We need more basic scientists. We need translational scientists. And just come. We are an open <laughs> community. So, you know, dermatology, immunology, we welcome you. And your expertise will not be lost on our group. So thanks, everybody, for watching. And we'll be back at SID in Dallas next year. Thanks so much, Jen. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to visit www.pedaresearch.org forward slash education for more programming and interviews like this from past meetings. You can also visit our website and register for PEDRA's 11th annual conference in Atlanta, Georgia, November 9th through the 11th. We hope to see you there.